we can turn back now to our reading in the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to consider the whole of this section that we read together. It's a long section, but as you'll see, it's um, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. In the midst of Pentecost, this uh, amazing day in the midst of the history of the church, when God poured out his Spirit upon the church, uh, we see the boldness with which the church spoke, and, and as we see here, Peter speaking. And the purpose of um, the church in those days is the very same purpose for which we exist today. That is to worship God, to praise his name and to make his name, name known to the nations of the world. The two psalms that we've sung, Psalm 95 and Psalm 67, speak about these two purposes. In Psalm 95, we are as a people to come and worship God. And in Psalm 67, it speaks about praying for the blessing of God upon all nations of the world. And do we see that in this day? Do we see that in our experience today, if we think of it locally here or further afield? Are we seeing God's blessing poured out upon the nations of the world? Perhaps tonight we think that we see little in the sense of blessing in our midst. We see little of the sense of life in our midst. Maybe we even feel a little downcast in our own hearts today, wondering, well, what is God's purposes in the midst of everything that's going on? Well, his purposes are still the same. He is calling a people to come and worship him, to come and know the blessing that only he can give. And so we maybe ask ourselves then, well, how are we going to know this blessing? How are we going to see this blessing on ourselves, in our own hearts, or in our congregations, in our nations? Where is it going to come from? Well, it doesn't come from any man. It comes from God himself. And as we see God's face and as we look to him, that is what we ask for, his blessing upon us. And the blessing comes through hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And today we live in a world that says so much to us. We hear so many people speaking to us at different times and in different ways. And we hear speeches and people making many, speaking many words to us, trying to guide us and lead us in different ways. And speeches come in different forms. Speeches can be heard in Parliament every week. Speeches can be heard outside of Parliament as people are complaining and groaning about everything that's going on inside Parliament. Speeches are heard in the workplace. Speeches are heard in the homes. We all have something to say. We all have something that we want changed or something we want to happen. And there have been some wonderful speeches down through the generations. I'm sure you've all heard different speeches that have had an impact on you. It may be it might have been a wedding speech or a retirement speech. Somebody was saying kind words to you that have left an impression on you. Or it may have been hearing other people speaking like the likes of Martin Luther King in his famous speech back in the day as he told a nation about a dream that he had that people would be united together or 
go further back and think of Winston Churchill during the Second World War and the kind of words that he spoke to inspire a nation, trying to galvanise people together. And though these speeches may have a lasting impression and stay with us in many different ways, uh, they may be spoken very eloquently and wonderfully created and you still hear the voice of those who said it. There is no greater word that we hear than the word of God. And the word of God isn't dependent on the one who is speaking or Sometimes we fumble our words. Sometimes we wonder, what are we going to say for God? But what we are dependent on is the Spirit of God helping us as we speak the Word of God. And that's what we see here in in Acts chapter 2. Following the pouring out of the Spirit at the beginning of chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, we see Peter then stand up in the midst of a crowd, a crowd that was antagonistic, a crowd that was questioning what they'd seen, a crowd that was claiming that those who were speaking were just drunk. But Peter speaks, he stands up to speak in the midst of this crowd and to make known the gospel, the greatest message, the greatest sermon we'll ever hear is all about the gospel, the greatest speech, the greatest words we'll ever hear are here before us tonight, the word of God, the word of a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And so we as a church, as God's people, still to this day have this great privilege of being able to share this message of hope to a people and to nations who are perishing without Christ, inviting them to come and hear the wonders of the gospel. This Jesus who was crucified at the hands of men but who God raised from the dead and who is now seated at the right hand of God, the one in whom we have the offer and hope of salvation. So as we look at the day of Pentecost and all that was happening here, what was God's purpose in this? He was awakening his church's people. They had been waiting upon him in chapter 1. They were told to wait until this event took place. Jesus had commanded them to wait, but when this Spirit was poured out, the church was then given its mission to proclaim the gospel beginning in Jerusalem, going to Judea, and to all the nations of the world. At the heart of Pentecost was mission. And this mission here begins with Peter's sermon, proclaiming the hope of the gospel, mission through the word being proclaimed and today and every day that we have on earth that is our mission too as God's people to be proclaiming God's word to be showing forth God's word through us to others to be enlivened by the spirit to be enriched by the spirit to be blessed by the spirit to once again our church is being on fire for the Lord and to pray to see God's blessing of souls being saved even to have that courage to pray that we would see 3,000 souls added in one day at the beginning of Peter's sermon that would have seemed a million miles away but we are reminded here of the power of God 
that by the end of his sermon, people were asking, what are we to do? Repent and be baptised. So as God's people, we are to be witnesses to this, to a loving Saviour who is Christ, who is able to save. And just three things about Peter's sermon here we can take. First of all, we see that it is a sermon with real purpose. It's a sermon with real purpose. He's not just uttering words for the sake of uttering words. He's speaking the words of life, the words of salvation. If I was to ask you tonight, what do you fear most in life? What makes you afraid? We maybe all have different things that we might say that we are afraid of. But one of the most common things on the list of the things that we may be afraid of is, is public speaking. One of the most difficult things to do, one of the things we fear most. Well, put yourself for a moment into Peter's shoes here. Here is Peter, and it's not that long ago that he had let down the Lord Jesus. It's not that long ago that quite publicly he had been a failure in front of many. It's not that long ago that the cock had crowed when he had denied knowing Jesus for the third time. And here he is now in the midst of this great crowd who are antagonistic against him, who are wondering what's going on. I mean, it's not an easy place to stand where Peter is. It's never an easy place to stand in the midst of a public gathering. But here's Peter and he knows he can do nothing else. It's amazing just how quickly uh, he stands up here in verse 14. They've all been saying that they're perplexed in the previous verses in verse 12. So they're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking, saying, They are filled with new wine. In other words, they are just drunk. But Peter's fear is overcome. In verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. The crowd were mocking and, and accusing, but here is Peter, and he stands to explain. No time to prepare, no time to write down notes he can rely on. He stands with a purpose, a God-given purpose. He knows he must stand and stand for the cause of Christ, to defend his Saviour, the one who restored him, the one who reminded him that he was forgiven, that he was loved. And now with all his heart, his desire and longing is to proclaim the glorious riches of Christ. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him and upon him with power. If he had not spoken, he would have been disobedient. And it's a reminder to ourselves too that we as God's people have the same God on our side. The Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, not just for them or not just for those people, but for God's people to this day and to every generation to come until the day of the Lord's return. The Spirit is with us. 
And that's who we rely on, not on ourselves. He gave a sermon, he preached the gospel to these people. In the midst of no doubt fear and trembling in his own heart, he stood and spoke the word of God. And we ask ourselves, do we have that boldness? Do we have that courage? Will we stand and speak out for the Lord today when there are so many mocking him, so many cursing him, and yet we remain silent? And I'm speaking to myself here as to all of us together. We need a day of boldness and a day of courage, a day to recognise our purpose as a church, as a people, the people of God, is to worship and to proclaim and to defend the truth of God. We can always make excuses. We can always say, well, I'm not sure what I would say. Maybe I've got nothing worthwhile to say. Maybe if I say something, it will offend. That's just our natural fear. Or maybe we say the opposite. Maybe we say, oh, I'm always saying too much. I'm just going to be quiet for a change. But maybe if you don't speak, someone will go away having missed something important, an answer to a burning question that they had. As we have breath, we are to worship God. As we have breath, we are to share God's word, to encourage one another together, but then to have boldness to go out with it. The Bible says there's a time to speak and a time to be silent and knowing which to apply is always difficult, but we will always err on the side of just being silent. We're not living in a day to be silent. We're living in a day where we need to pray for boldness, to pray for courage, to pray to have that purpose that Peter had to stand in the midst of a people who have burning questions, people who are antagonistic, yes, towards the gospel. But you have to ask yourself, well, why are they antagonistic? They don't know the gospel. They don't know the truth. They think mocking the gospel is just the way it's meant to be because that's what everybody else does. But remember the change that we see, even in this passage, how a people who were mocking towards the end um, of this, it says in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. As Peter proclaimed this message, the people who were against him are now cut to the heart, asking, what are we to do? And we live in the same kind of day to day. We live in a day when the word of God is so needed, needed to be heard, to be heard by all around us, to be heard first and foremost by ourselves, to be built up again in the word of God and the truth of God and to see the purpose that we have as a people, as a church of God, to proclaim with purpose this great message. Peter's speech, Peter's sermon had a purpose. It was full of grace. And we pray that our conversations, the preaching of the word and the conversations that we have as we go away from here will be full of grace, full of the love of Christ and give us a burning sense of desire to share 
that message with others. So there was a purpose in Peter's sermon. We see too the proclamation in Peter's sermon here. As well as being afraid about speaking, we can also have this problem of, well, what are we going to say? What do we have to offer people? Well, as you look at Peter's sermon, what you notice throughout the sermon is there are sections where he's quoting. He's quoting the prophet Joel in verse 17 to verse 21. He's quoting Psalm 16 there in verse 25 to 28. He's quoting Psalm 110 there in verse 34. He's quoting the scripture. So if we think to ourselves, well, what am I going to say? We have the answer here. We, we share the word of God. This is a living word. It's an active word. It's a word that's able to cut to the heart. It's not our words so often that are going to make the difference, but the word of God. It's like that sword that cuts through soul and spirit. It's a powerful word. So, and we should never be ashamed of God's word. We should never be embarrassed about God's word or see it as something that's dated or ir irrelevant. It's God's word for every generation, for every people. It's a word that speaks to your soul. If you have been saved, if you have been converted and know the Lord Jesus as your saviour, I'm sure there's a word that will often come to mind, a word that you heard when God was speaking to you and reminding you of how lost you were and seeking to bring you into, his, into salvation and into his kingdom. There was a word that came to you with power. It may be a verse, it may be a whole sermon, but God will often come in a powerful way and minister to you. And still, to this day, he does that. His word will prick your conscience. His word will speak with power. His word will come to you in a time of need and remind you of who he is and how great he is. It's a powerful word. And here, Peter speaks this powerful word in the midst of this crowd, a crowd that has accused him and others of being drunk. And you see here a sense of just Peter putting people at ease as he comes to preach to them as well. In verse 15 he says, For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's like he's saying, oh come on, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. These people are not drunk. Let me explain to you what's wrong with these people or what's right with these people. They are full of the Holy Spirit. They are full of the Spirit of God. And he says, listen. Listen to what is coming before you. He says that in verse 14. Give ear to my words. Listen to what I am about to say to you. And then in verse 22, he says the same thing. Men of Israel, hear these words. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. And he speaks the word of God. And what does that say to ourselves today as well? As a church, as a people, it tells us to trust God's word. To rely on God's word. To believe in God's word. 
and not to be ashamed to share God's word with others. God's word with others. But it says to us too, to know the word of God. To know where to turn in God's word. He, immediately he says here, the prophet Joel says, he's got an answer from God's word. He's got an answer from Psalm 16. The answer of the Lord Jesus not being left in the grave, but being brought to life again. God's word has the answers then for a people. It has answers today for a people who are lost. To know God's word and to trust God's word. I'm sure you've all heard of Charles Spurgeon. He was known by many as the Prince of Preachers. And you think to yourself, well, a preacher such as Charles Spurgeon, he would never have a day when he came away from the pulpit feeling he had let God down or what he had said was wrong. His sermons so often were so powerful. But he often learned lessons the hard way as well. There was one time when he felt a sermon he had preached one Sunday was so poor that he didn't want anyone to hear. He was so ashamed of himself. He walked away from church that day that met the Paulton Tabernacle in London and he wondered how any good could come from the sermon he just preached. When he arrived home, he went down on his knees and he prayed, Lord God, you can do something with nothing. And will you not bless that poor sermon? That sermon was used by God over the next few months to bring at least, it's known, 41 people to trust in the Lord Jesus. But for the rest of that week, Spurgeon was so troubled by the sermon he preached that he felt that was so bad, he was going to make sure next Sunday was the best sermon he could preach. He, he studied hard, he sought to give it his all and put everything into it. And he said to himself, well now I've prepared such a great sermon. He felt he had given it his all. He felt he had done a good job in it. And he preached that sermon and there was no response. No one was touched by it. His experience taught him this. Not to depend on his own understanding of what a good sermon is or what God can use. But to realise that God can bless to any end. Not our best efforts, but so often our weakest efforts that he is able to bless. Two lessons he learned. We need God's blessing in all that we do. And second, he learned that in our weakness... God is able to bless. And so it reminds us today that we are not to be afraid. We often maybe feel a sense of Spurgeon's failure. What I've said to that person, oh, I wish I'd said something different. I wish I'd said something else. I wish I hadn't said that. We will worry about it. Maybe it even keeps us awake at night, troubling our souls. Why did I say that? Why did I not say something else? But in it all we are to trust God. That our feeble efforts, that our weakest efforts, God can bless. We are not to be afraid to speak. 
In fact, we are to be bold to speak. That is our purpose as a church, to worship and to proclaim the truth of God. So Peter, here we see his proclamation is on the word of God. He has an affection for the people he is seeing around him and he longs for them to hear God's word and to come to understand God's word. May we have that desire ourselves too. And the third thing, final thing we see here is the plan in the midst of all of this. God's plan and has and always will be to call a people back to himself. We have gone away from God. We have gone astray from God. That is the natural desire of our hearts, to run away from God. But as I think was preached here this morning, Psalm 23, the good shepherd came to bring the sheep back, to come and seek the lost sheep, to come and save the lost sheep. And his covenant promise to us is that God's word will bring people back to himself from north and south, from east and west. That's the prayer of Psalm 67. Lord, bless and pity us. And as you see here in this chapter, in chapter 2, it's just the beginning of the early church here in the New Testament. A church that's got to grow and expand and go out to all nations of the world and is still going out to all nations of the world. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. Everything is in God's plan and purpose. And you see that even as Paul, uh, Peter is preaching here, even the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, he reminds people, is this definite plan in verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. God's plan is always working itself out. And God is calling on his people to come back. Even in the Old Testament, that is the great call you find throughout the Old Testament. Return to me, and I will return to you, declares the Lord Almighty. The prophet Zechariah said, I will return to you. And is that not the call to his people today as well? Return to me that I might return to you. So our prayer in God's plan is that people will listen. That people will listen to God's words. I highlighted earlier in verse 14 and in verse 22. Peter twice says to give ear to the words that he is speaking, to give ear to the words that is preached, to give ear to God's word. It's reminding every one of us to listen carefully to God's word. It's all of our responsibility together to listen to what God's saying to us. It's the responsibility of the preacher to prepare God's word right as he should but it's not just all in the preacher. It's us, all of us together, beginning with the preacher, going out to the people to hear and to listen to what God is saying. Peter had listened to the Lord. 
Yes, he had denied him in the past. He'd let him down in the past. But the Lord Jesus restored him. And he was listening to the Lord. He was serving the Lord now with all his heart. And he's calling on others to listen. To listen to this plan of God. To listen to what God is saying. That this Christ who was crucified, God has raised from the dead. And that this Christ is the one who is able to save. As it goes on to say there in verse 21, Joel is saying that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To listen. Listen to what he is saying here. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not just singing a psalm to God. That's calling, crying out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. That is what Peter is proclaiming. They are preaching, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. He is proclaiming this message to all who will hear. And we are to listen. To listen. So often you see the Lord Jesus himself saying that we are to listen. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus, who was preaching God's word, you think, well, they're bound to listen to him. But he had to say to his people, take care how you listen. Listen carefully. Take heed. So you see it throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. We are to be a people who listen. Because the more we listen, the more we understand. The more we understand, the more we realize we can depend on God, upon all his promises. To remind ourselves that there is power in God's word. To remind ourselves that as a church, as a people of God, that God has a purpose for us. To lean upon him and to trust in him. Psalm 34 verse 11 says, Come here, my children, gather round and listen to my word. And I will help you understand how you may fear the Lord. Are we listening to God together? And are we too distracted or too busy in these days to hear what he is saying to us. And the less we listen, the more discouraged we are. So let us listen. Let us learn a lesson from the life of Charles Swindle, a man who wrote many books. And he wrote one book about the dangers of being stressed. It's called Stress Fractures. And in this book he relates a story. And he tells of how it had come to a point in his life where he was just so busy and he had so many commitments and not enough time to fulfill them. He was getting nervous, he was getting tense about all of it. And he was finding himself snapping at his wife, irritable with his children, rushing down his food and not staying to talk to anybody at the table. And this was going on day after day. Before long, he says, things around the house had started reflecting the pattern of his hurried lifestyle. He said it was, it was becoming unbearable. Life was just too chaotic. 
And it came home to him this one day. And he says, it was at supper one evening. And his daughter, Colleen, she wanted to tell him something that had happened in school that day. Something important. But she'd been seeing her father so irritable, so stressed, so rushed. She said this to him. Daddy, I want to tell you something. And I'll tell you really fast. So I just need to tell you this and I'll tell you really fast. And it dawned on him that all that he was doing, how busy he was, was impacting everyone around him. And he realised her frustration and he said to her, Colleen, you can tell me. And you don't have to tell me really fast. Take your time and tell me slowly. Well, it was her daughter's answer to that that really hit him. She said, then listen slowly. Pay attention to what I'm saying. And isn't that God speaking into our lives as well? We're so busy. Things are so fast. Things are so hectic. Things are so stressed. And God, just like Peter, through Peter was saying here, listen Give ear to my words. Slow down. It's not about you. It's about me. Listen to what I am saying. Listen slowly. And the more you listen, the more you'll find peace. The more you'll find joy with me. The more the kingdom of God will be blessed. The amazing thing in this whole sermon is the change that comes. The change that comes on Peter, how encouraged he is. The change that comes on the hearers as they go from being antagonistic to crying out with hearts that are touched by the Spirit, cut to the heart. What shall we do? And 3,000 souls added to the church that day. Is it possible for that day to come again? Is it possible that we would see a day such as this? Why not? It's the same God. It's the same Spirit. It's the same Christ who is able to save. Maybe it's us who need to change. To change our ways. To change how we listen. To change how we read. To change how we believe change how we trust, to return to God, to come back to him with all our hearts, to listen, to listen well, to listen slowly, and to trust that he is able. The church is being built up despite us, but God longs for his people to worship and to proclaim that he may use us for his glory in this place and further afield. So may we hear God's word. May we be encouraged by it and may it be blessed to us even in the days of the week ahead that we will encourage one another through it and share with those around us the beauty of Christ and the blessings that are ours through faith in him. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you will give us ears to hear 
what you are saying to us, that you will stir us up in our hearts to receive with gladness the word that we read here before us this night, a word that even now cuts us to the heart, for we recognise how far short we fall so often. But we thank you for its healing power and for its power to save and to save to the utmost. And we pray, Lord, that you will convict ourselves in our hearts, but also build us up in the faith, restore us and heal us, that we may be a blessing to others around us. We echo the words of the Psalms, Lord, bless and pity us, shine on us with thy face. May that be our prayer now and always, for we ask it in his name. Amen. <laughs> 